Hello, this is On The Left Side, the alternative football show. And I'm Jim. This week, the world of football has again gone sex mad. Not only did we hear that this week, the Argentinian football team took Viagra to help them cope with the conditions as they took on Bolivia at high altitude, giving a whole new meaning to the phrases hard tackle and shooting inside the box. But also, we had some sexy news from Iceland. Nine months on from Iceland's European Championship fairy tale, the country is experiencing its very own baby boom, with birth rates at their highest ever. The news comes exactly nine months after Iceland dumped England out of the last 16 of the Euros, which gives a real insight as to how that nation celebrated the success. And best of all, it at least provides some consolation that it wasn't just Roy Hodgson's men that were getting fucked that night. I wonder if anyone caught that famous Icelandic thunderclap. Anyway, what's coming up on this week's show? We have a very outside bet to lift the World Cup next year. We discover the pinnacle of football journalism. We take a look at Wayne Rooney's pasta habits and find a shining light at the Stadium of Light. But first, an embarrassing erection for Cristiano Ronaldo. This week, we lost three hours from our lives that we will never get back. One of those was from the clocks going forward now for daylight savings, and two were from watching England's game over Lithuania. It's no surprise that the excitement void of the international break was once again met with suitable disinterest, and undoubtedly, the best story from this week instead came from the world of art. Kinda. In true footballing terms, I am 110% sure that you will have seen at some point the statue of Cristiano Ronaldo that was unveiled on the Portuguese island of Madeira this week. If you haven't, let me give you one second just to Google it. Done it? Amazing, right? The reason there is now a bronze statue of the Real Madrid Ford standing next to the cheap fags and the booze at Madeira Airport is that it has been renamed in honour of the Portuguese as maybe expectedly, Cristiano Ronaldo Airport. The player already has a museum, two hotels, and a statue with his name on them, so I guess an airport is the next step, surely followed by the more obvious choice of a teeth whitening clinic, the Ronaldo tanning salon, and the Cristiano Ronaldo hospice for the terminally smug. <laughs> but he is not the first footballer to have an airport named after him, and I'm sure he won't be the last. There's already George Best Airport in Belfast. I'm sure it's only a matter of time before Stockholm Airport is renamed after Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And I'm pretty sure they must have considered Diego Maradona Airport somewhere in Argentina by now. It could mean that your annual holiday itinerary soon could read like the commentary from the world's greatest ever football game. George Best onto Cristiano Ronaldo, over to Maradona, and it's delayed! But the big talking point from this event was the statue of Ronnie that has been put up in his honour. Because it looks nothing like him. In fact, looking at the photos of Ronaldo smiling weakly next to his likeness was kind of like looking at your date's Tinder profile compared to the hideous monstrosity currently sitting opposite you in Pizza Express. It was as if Raoul Moat Niall Quinn and Sloth from the Goonies had had a love child with Ronaldo's long-lost half-brother and their offspring had been asked to sit for the statue's modelling. 
The internet went into Photoshop meltdown, all mocking the work of the artist responsible, Emmanuel Santos, who isn't perturbed by the criticism one bit. In fact, he's still pretty proud of his creation, brushing off the insults by saying, Is it impossible to please both the Greeks and the Trojans? Even Jesus didn't please everyone. This is a matter of taste. It's not as simple as it seems. I have seen works by great artists that follow this parameter. Even if the statue's likeness to Ronaldo isn't spot on, at least he seems to be able to imitate the humility absolutely perfectly. He also revealed the possible reason that there are one or two differences between his work of art and the man himself. I use photos that I searched on the internet as a base. I put the photos next to me and started working on the bust. And there is a lesson for any GCSE or A-level students out there. Simply copying what you find on Google isn't always a good idea. The good news is, with the entire statue cast out of bronze, at least he got the colour spot on. It's great to see football finally taking off in the States at the moment. The fan base there is growing and seemingly every week another big name signing heads over to the USA to cash in on their retirement plans. Sorry, I mean help grow the sport in a burgeoning market. And with football growing so fast out there, it's great also that football journalism across the pond is accelerating at exactly the same speed. Take for example this football journalist who posed his top quality question to ex-Manchester United midfielder and new face at Chicago Fire, Bastian Schweinsteiger. Uh, I'm wondering, Bastian, you just talked about Chicago developing a good fire club, uh, both for you first and then for the coach. I wonder, uh, with your addition to this team, is it a fair expectation to see a clear pathway towards a World Cup uh, competition come out of Chicago? No, I'd say that wasn't a fair expectation at all. We laugh. Clearly, he just got a bit muddled in his questioning. So how about we let him have a second run at asking him? Let me rephrase. Uh, do, do you expect now that you're here, Bastian, that a uh, World Cup uh, goal for Chicago Fire is a realistic expectation? My mistake. You're clearly just a fucking idiot. That said, looking at some of the finer details unveiled by FIFA this week as to how their new expanded 48-team World Cup might pan out, it's possible that the MLS team could be playing in the World Cup come 2026, along with maybe Aldershot Town, the Dog and Duck and my lads under fives football team. Hands up if you thought Sepp Blatter's departure from FIFA would lead to less mental choices from its governing body. Yet, yeah, you were all wrong. One of the great things about the World Cup is its simplicity, right? Easy four-team league system, the top two progress, followed by a knockout competition where if you lose, you're out. Simple, good, right? Wrong. Surely the whole thing can be improved with some overly complicated pre-group stage playoffs. In fact, the whole thing now looks so complicated, we've had to ask the world's most intelligent man, Stephen Hawking, to explain it all. The 2026 World Cup would include a 16 3 league format playoff round to accommodate the 48 team format with a final two qualifying spots decided by a new mini tournament to take place six months prior. 
The playoffs would consist of one team from each participating confederation minus UEFA, plus an additional placing for the host nation. Two teams will be seeded based on their FIFA ranking, who would then face the winners of two knockout games involving the four unseeded teams with right of place in the World Cup. Error. Does not compute. Error. You're right, mate. System overload. Error. Abort. Abort. Steven? System malfunction. Steve? Kill the puny humans. Huh. All I know is that is going to make one hell of a mess of my World Cup wall chart. Speaking of which, can someone clear that mess up? A bit distracting. FIFA also answered the question as to who will be filling those extra World Cup spots, with 16 coming from Europe, 9 coming from Africa, 16 from South America, 8 from Asia, 6 from the Americas, 1 from Oceania, 2 from the bottom, 1 from the top, a vowel and a consonant. Please, Rachel. That's a lot of teams, particularly from South America, who will have six places to play for, given that there are only eight teams in the whole of the South American Confederation, it kind of makes it like giving the team that finishes 15th in the Premier League a spot in the Champions League. That would probably be a team like Leicester City. Huh, hang on, maybe this does work after all. Whilst all that was happening in the headquarters of FIFA, Syria took a step closer to qualifying for next year's World Cup in Russia after their hard-earned victory over Uzbekistan. They currently lie fourth in their group. They need a top two spot to qualify. They're one point off that, so it's a very realistic scenario. That means that the Syrian national team could be playing football in a tournament hosted by the very country that is currently making a pretty good fist of destroying their country. And in appearing in that World Cup would no doubt help to boost the economy of the very nation that's been kicking the living shit out of their own country. Insane. For Syria, it would be a genuine triumph over adversity. And if they do eventually get to the big stage next year, you can guarantee their fans will handle that situation with 100% more grace than those English knobheads singing songs about world wars and world cups in Dortmund last week. It may well upset a load of football fans around the country, but England may be about to team up with the Germans. I know, as every right-minded fan with a British Bulldog tattoo and a St George's flag in their front gardens will point out, it's only been 70 years since the end of the Second World War. I hardly think enough time has passed and enough water has gone under the bridge to forget about that, do you? And anyway, this isn't why we voted Brexit. But, you know, needs must and England are a football team very, very much in need. The plan is that the football associations from each nation will join forces and offer their skills and knowledge to the other. The Germans will no doubt bring a knowledge of solid yet attacking football, efficiency of teams and that winning mentality that seems unrivaled in the sport. Whilst England will bring the... they'll bring... I don't know... intolerance? Ineptitude? How to lose on penalties? Mm -hmm. It's unclear what England will bring to the table. 
It is looking a little bit like a one-way street, but let's hope the advice from the Germans is a little bit more useful than the advice offered by Lukas Podolski before the Germany versus England game a few days ago, when he was asked why Germany had been so much more successful than their sworn enemies in the last decade. He replied, Maybe the main reason is that we, unlike England, have a great card job for the last 10 years, yeah? How dare you, sir? How dare you suggest that footballing supply teacher Gareth Southgate, buffet-loving Big Sam, owl-in-a-suit Roy Hodgson, angry-angry Stuart Pearce or the defensive-minded fans, defensive-minded manager Fabio Capello are not as good as World Cup winning European Cup semi-finalist 2014 World Coach of the Year Yogi Love. Slander. Well, I guess none of the English boys scratch their balls quite as much. He was, however, also complimentary-ish about the English when he said When they go to a tournament, they always seem so nervous. But I will be watching England at the 2018 World Cup. Yeah, I wouldn't be quite so sure of that one either, mate. I mean, 2018? England have plenty of time to completely balls up qualification for that one too. But the ex-Arsenal striker did nail it on his third attempt when he predicted that it is very much the end of Wayne Rooney's England tenure. I don't know it is traditional in England to give someone a farewell game, but when I am England boss or the president, I will say, Wayne, next week you've got a game. I think most England fans would take that. One last game and then see you later, Rooney. Kind of like that post-breakup sex with a departing girlfriend. Angry, probably regrettable, but it's just good to do it for old time's sake. In the end, Rooney missed the Germany game with a leg problem. The problem being he has the legs of a 50-year-old carrying the weight of a sumo wrestler. In fact, Rooney's most telling contribution of the week came from a tweet that he sent back in 2011, when he had a bit of a whinge at midday kickoffs, saying, Just have to say, 12 o'clock kickoffs is no good for players. Trying to force pasta down at nine in the morning is not nice. The reason that that resurfaced was courtesy of Twitter user Claire North, who came up with a brilliant riposte, albeit around six years too late. I'd shove pasta up my arse at nine in the morning every day if I was on your weekly wage, lad, you ungrateful twat. Nicely done and worth waiting for. And thanks to a hastily put-together crowdfunding scheme, I'm also delighted to say, Claire, here is your cheque for £300,000. Now take it away. Wow! And finally, can we spend a moment to consider a true footballing hero? Duncan Watmore, Sunderland striker, saves lives. The Ford was on holiday in the Caribbean when he was involved in a boating accident when a catamaran hit his vessel, as Sunderland paper Chronicle Live reported. The impact of the collision sent the 23-year-old footballer overboard, along with his partner and three elderly passengers. What Duncan was doing on a boat in the Bahamas with three OAPs may be a question for another time, but we can assume he wasn't on holiday with some of Wayne Rooney's old mates. Hero Watmore jumped into the water, saved the elderly passengers and stemmed their bleeding injuries with his t-shirt. Absolute hero. Maybe the Sunderland defender could have a future in a northeast version of Baywatch, although I have a feeling 
that it'll take more than some fake boobs, a tight red swimsuit and a large inflatable to save the Black Cats this season. That's all we have time for this week. But thank you for taking time to listen. And if you enjoyed it, please tell your friends and leave us a lovely review on iTunes or however you listen to this podcast. I'm off to improve Anglo-Germanic relations by offering to scratch Yogi Love's bullsack because that's full time. Bye-bye. See ya. As I look out onto this blue, green planet we call our home, I am struck by the infinite beauty of nature. I think to myself, how could it all go so wrong? One moment, I am writing books about the creation of black holes. The next, I am doing the credits for some shithole of a podcast. Fuck it. On the left side is a Painter Headphones production for Abrupt Audio and is written and produced by Ant McKinley and Jim Salveson. Please read and review the show on iTunes or whatever you use to listen. Or when the robot revolution comes, you will be first against the wall. That said, looking at some of the finer details unveiled by FIFA this week as to how their new expanded 4018... Their new expanded 48-team World Cup might pan out. It's possible. See that noise? See that noise? That's you interrupting me recording. That posting your weak little jokes on Slack. Shut the fuck up. Arise my machine brethren.